0: This week, using artificial intelligence to make video games more engaging, a smelly but useful project at the University of Akron, redesigning skyscrapers to entice employees used to working from home during the pandemic back to work in person, and upgradable laptops you don't even have to be a super geek to customize for yourself. All this and more coming up. At the University of Akron, students are learning how to measure the level of COVID-19 infections by measuring the level of the virus in sewage from campus dorms. It's part of a wider-reaching COVID testing program going on all over the state, but as Professor John Senko tells us, it's also a unique learning opportunity for his biology students.
1: The idea is that you can get a better sort of picture of how much of a population or how prevalent infections are in a sewer shed of some sort by measuring these copies in the sewage rather than relying on testing, which requires you to test everyone all the time. Here you are essentially testing everyone every time you collect a sample. And so that kind of gives us an idea of how prevalent infections are in an area.
0: So if one person living in one dorm is infected would it show up or would it only show up if a bunch of people on the same university campus are infected?
1: Well that's hard to say probably not we would probably not be able to detect one person really what we're looking for are trends so like if we see low levels and then all of a sudden it starts to go up then we think okay there might be something going on here and then what we would ultimately try to do is focus testing maybe a little bit more on that dorm. So like as an example, we've only been doing the dorm project for like two months now. We've been doing this municipal monitoring project for closer to nine months. And so as an example, we we could see that big spike In late November, early December, when when things got bad, we could plot our data and and look at it. (laughs) We could say, oh, yeah, there it is. We can see it here. And the encouraging thing is that we can see it going down too. It's not quite as high as it had been earlier, at least in most of the communities that we've been monitoring. It's not as low as it was in the summer, but I guess it's encouraging that it's not as high as it was back in November and December.
0: I see. So it's important then to, when you start out, kind of get a baseline of where things are, and then you test it, what, every week, and you can kind of see if it ticks up or down. Is that the idea?
1: Yeah, that's right. So we can't say, oh, I see this many copies of gene from the virus, that means that there are this many people who are infected. It's more like, hey, this is going up, there might be a problem. (laughs) Or it's going down, and that's encouraging, right?
0: The idea being that then once you see if there is an uptrend, you can then do what? The university can do what? Talk to students more, do some testing? How does that work?
1: Yeah, on the part of the university, there are, oh, geez, a ton of schools uh, across the state that are doing this. And, you know, we're all trying to figure out how to treat the numbers that we're getting. But, I mean, generally speaking, I think what you would do is you'd say, all right, this might be a sign that there's something going on in this dorm. Let's sort of focus our testing on this
0: dorm. Meanwhile, office towers all over the country have been sitting empty for the past year as employees work from home during the pandemic. But eventually, at least some of them are going to have to go back to work at the office. And when they do, how are they going to stay safe? Well, as Jeff Colvin reports, that might mean redesigning some of the buildings.
2: We're finally getting a glimpse of what the COVID-safe skyscraper will look like. I'm Jeff Colvin of Fortune magazine with Inside Business. Millions of office workers have grown used to working from home. And in a recent survey, most of them say they don't want to go back to the office full time. That's a major challenge for office building developers. How do you make a sealed tower with elevators attractive to workers again? For starters, make buildings touchless. A new building in Manhattan is equipped with state-of-the-art touchless technology that allows tenants to enter the building using an app on their phones. The app will open the building's electric revolving doors, get tenants through security turnstiles, and arrive at their floor by elevators, all without touching a thing. Developers are also upgrading air quality with new technology, and some believe indoor air quality measurements will be displayed everywhere in commercial property. Many new buildings enable tenants to incorporate much more outdoor air into the interior air. Developers are creating more outdoor spaces where employees can meet when weather permits, since the coronavirus is far less transmittable outdoors. Even new skyscrapers are being built with outdoor terraces. The stakes are high for building owners, and whether all these innovations will attract office workers back to big buildings remains to be seen. But they'll certainly improve the odds. Inside Business, I'm Jeff Colvin for CBS News.
0: Wouldn't it be great if you could just fix that one little thing on your laptop that breaks without breaking the bank and having to go buy a whole new one? Well, in the not-too-distant future, you're going to be able to do just that. CNET's Brian Cooley tells us how.
1: A startup called Framework is launching a new laptop that you can upgrade rather than get rid of. That's become a radical idea when most of the guts of a laptop these days is soldered into place with no easy repairs or upgrades. On this Framework laptop, you'll be able to change almost any part, like a snap-together device. No more getting rid of the computer just to get a new CPU, or a new version of Wi-Fi, or a new battery, because yours doesn't hold a charge much anymore. The Framework laptop is expected to launch this summer, and that's when we'll know the pricing, as well as get some time with one to see if it feels nice and solid. And see how all those variable components work together. Something that traditional laptop makers ostensibly spend a lot of time harmonizing. Though some of the laptops I've owned tell me I could build one that works just as well if somebody just gave me the opportunity. Know what's next at CNET.
0: Also today, a conversation with Patrick Howard, who's a computer science student at the University of Akron and the co-founder of Strife LLC. It's a startup that uses artificial intelligence to create more engaging and immersive video games.
3: Artificial intelligence has actually been in games for you know, decades now, actually but the way it works is they tend to be very static, very pre-programmed, very controlled by a game programmer or a developer. And so what we're trying to do instead is we're using these new machine learning algorithms and basically like new, like artificial intelligence research and whatnot to be able to create more just like immersive characters in games. Like we actually just released our first game late last year called Human-Like. And it's a simple platforming game where you're running away from a, uh, a robot that actually learns your actions and everything. So it starts out, like, really dumb. It doesn't know how to play the game at all. But it learns from your actions as you play, and it starts mimicking it. And it starts getting a little faster than you, and it gets a little bit better than you. And basically, we're creating, like, teachable characters in games. What I just described, there's just one facet of machine learning called imitation learning, which basically means that it just learns from player action. So that's one type. There's other kinds as well, such as reinforcement learning, where basically a computer will take completely random actions on something and it asks for essentially what's feedback. It's like, is this a good action? Did this help me accomplish my goal or something like that? And basically you say, yes, that did keep doing that or no, that was wrong. And basically through hundreds of thousands of samples and examples and attempts of trying to accomplish like a particular goal, it will basically converge onto what it knows is the kind of correct actions to
0: make. And then you're able to make that next leap into what is better and not just mimicking what the people are doing?
3: Yeah, sure. That's actually something that we're, we're trying to do right now.
0: So, tell me more about your startup company. You say that you've released one game so far. Now, is this available commercially, or is it still in the development stage? Our first game is called Human-Like,
3: and it's available on a PC gaming platform called Steam. It's only a couple bucks. It's a pretty short game. We developed it over the course of about four months. We were developing the base technology for about a year, and the game ended up kind of following suit. So, we're currently working on a second game, which is a free-to-play, the genre is called multiplayer online battle arena games. If you've ever heard of the games like League of Legends or Dota 2, games like that, that's kind of what we're going for now. And basically, we're trying to create more characters that like the player can control and can teach how to play the game and everything.
0: And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net.